Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, the fall will be here before you know it, and the temperatures will start to drop and get a little bit cooler. So swing on by Leon Tailoring to get you something warm that will not burn a hole in your pocket. Maybe it's a nice little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a heavier blouse or skirt, or no matter what it is, maybe a nice sweater. No matter what it is, you can get it at Leon Tailoring. You can get it ready-made or custom-made or tailor-made. Just go on in, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you, and they'll be happy to do it as well. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. All right, uh, now comes the Q&A part of our program. So if you guys have the cards or someone to go in there and uh, bring cards in for our audience, they can uh, start filling them out. Uh, I'll go ahead and um, I'll get us. I'll get us started. And this question, ironically, is for the Mary County Prosecutorial candidates. Uh, Anybody else? Ken? Oh, never mind. I'll use first. Okay. Uh, Ryan, Cindy, uh, news broke this past week of uh, the Starbucks on Minor Circle uh, closing down, or says it's going to close down as of uh, Monday. Uh, Starbucks cited uh, crime downtown, uh, liability to its customers. IMPD, uh, Phil Burton, who's the downtown district commander, said Starbucks never reached out to them to talk about their crime issue. Uh, as a prosecutor, uh, Ryan, we'll start with you. What can we do to you know, help our businesses, keep them open so they can thrive, flourish, and we don't have to you know, basically not have to shut down from, from a prosecutorial perspective? And I'll give you the podium. Well, there's a lot of issues going on in Indianapolis. I'm not sure coffee is one of the most important. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and I actually talked to Commander Burton about this this morning. Uh, and one of the things Commander Burton talked about was was the fact that we didn't have that level of outreach and, and there's no communication uh, between Starbucks and IMPD. Uh, and one of the things that you can do is you can run uh, police runs by business and by address. And we just didn't see those things at that Starbucks uh, facility. Um, and, and so those are those are the challenges uh, where I'm, I'm not lying. I'm telling you what the commander, the downtown commander said. Uh, and so the, the downtown commander, Phil Burton, has said these things publicly uh, because that's the truth. Those, those, those are the issues. Uh, and so when we talk about safety, when you come downtown, I'm downtown every single day. Uh, I haven't had a single issue. I haven't had a single problem downtown. Uh, and when I walk around and when you talk to most of those businesses, uh, you don't see those same things. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why that Starbucks potentially might have been closing. Uh, I don't think it was a safety issue is the problem. Uh, and so, ma'am, if... if, if are you, do you need to leave? I'm going to blow my, I think I'm going to lose my mind because I'm okay. son that lived downtown. Excuse me, Miss. Okay. I'm going to just, uh, basically, we just leave this for the, for the questions, okay. and we'll, we'll have time at the end uh, okay. for Thank free you. folks to talk to individuals. Thank you. Okay, fine. Also, too, I just wanted, I obviously wanted to, we want to some come back to Pike Township. So regardless of your own personal view or the way you feel, if you could please um, give them respect when they're at the podium, that would be great. Thank you. Thank you. You'll try. That's big of you. Uh, the biggest thing for me is when we talk about these businesses and we talk about these, these issues downtown, let's actually talk about what's going on downtown. Let's actually talk about the stats. Let's talk about the number of runs that take place at that Starbucks. Let's talk about the number of runs to those surrounding businesses. Let's talk about the actual crimes that are alleged to have been committed down there. And then those are things that we can talk about. The role and the responsibility for the prosecutor
prosecutor's office as it relates to downtown is twofold. Number one, what can we do to try to help those individuals who don't have housing who are downtown? What is a concrete solution in plan that we can do to address that challenge of homelessness that exists in our downtown community? Here is a very specific plan, a very specific plan that I think would work that would ultimately benefit our community. And that specific plan is this. We have a number of unused downtown or hotel rooms on the west side of Indianapolis near the airport. We can leverage the criminal justice system to get those individuals placed at those hotels. And we don't have those issues of individuals being downtown. We can offer them services at that down or at the west side hotel location. And then that provides an immediate housing solution and opportunity for people who don't have housing right here, right now. That's a plan that I believe that would work that would improve our downtown community and offer an opportunity to people dealing with the issue of homelessness uh, on our circle and, and in our downtown area. That's a concrete plan and what I believe is a solution to, to the problem that we're facing. Well, I, um, one of the things that I would like for you to take away is that I'm running because I want to make sure that our businesses can stay open, especially our downtown businesses. Now, I too am downtown every single day. I have been walking um, the streets in the circle uh, all around downtown and talking to business owners. And I can tell you that they're concerned about the state of downtown. Now, one specific thing didn't get us to the place where we are right now, but the fact of the matter is that we have a business that is shutting down. This issue is not about coffee. This is not about Starbucks. This is about the fact that businesses, a business, a pretty significant business on the circle is closing and they have cited safety concerns. Now, in addition to that, um, FFA, a big convention that uh, comes to Indianapolis every single year, has actually put out a notification about safety concerns in, like any other large city, uh, that there should be precautions that are taken. My goal is to make sure that we create a safe environment for businesses to continue to stay open so that conferences will continue to choose Indianapolis to be uh, their, their focus, their, their hub. Um, and we do that through a variety of different things, through community outreach. Um, it is that partnership component of my platform that I'm talking about, working with IMPD to make sure that we're not just being reactive, but that we're being proactive to figuring out what our communities are seeing. Part of what I want to do is institute a community deputy prosecutor program that actually places a deputy prosecutor in each section of the city so that the deputy prosecutor is there as a tool for law enforcement to be able to partner with and go out to the communities and figure out what kinds of things are happening that they see as concerns that will keep them from feeling safe if they're a family, that will keep them from having their business thriving if they're a business. Now, again, I want to reiterate this. I'm not blaming uh, our city state on one thing. COVID happened, and that is a reality. But the difference between what's happening here in Indianapolis and cities around us in other parts of the Midwest is that unlike other cities that are recouping, that are regaining their vibrancy, especially in their downtown, Indianapolis is not. And again, I want to reiterate, I want 
much to make our city safe, not just the downtown, but every single part of our city safe so that our families can thrive, so that businesses can thrive. And I believe we do that through partnerships, through open communications, through, through being pro, uh, preventative and proactive rather than uh, reactive. I want to get back to actually being in the community and having a conversation back and forth with the businesses to understand what it is that they're seeing so that we can together with uh, all of those partners that I mentioned before, we can try to address it before it gets to a point where a business, regardless of what they're selling, has to shut down. Our next question is for uh, state senate candidates, uh, J.D. Ford and uh, Dr. Alex Choi. Uh, the question is gun violence. It's such that I'm concerned about going shopping or to be in large public places. Uh, what realistically can be done at the General Assembly to help curb uh, gun violence? Dr. Choi, we'll start with you, and then J.D. will go to you. So thank you very much for that question. Um, got a couple of comments around that. So. Um, Gun violence is a product of not being able to, it's a variety of reasons, but one of the problems we have, I think, is something I would have voted against, which is the um, permitless gun carry uh, law. And for me, as a Republican, to say that, uh, you can tell that I am for the people and representing the people of this community and not necessarily um, the, the will of the party. So from me uh, saying, talking about gun violence, this is going to be a promise to you that I will represent your community, Pike Township, Wayne Township, Carmel, and Zionsville. The other thing that we have to do is to, if we're, if we're not gonna have a permit um, part for, for uh, uh, carrying a firearm, what we need to do is to strengthen our background checks. That it is not just about checking the background of those uh, who sell, who are licensed dealers, but also those who are unlicensed dealers. So that we have a universal background check. We have um, a red flag law in place. It is not well uh, enforced. That needs to change. That's not a legislative thing, but a local community thing, local government thing. There are a variety of things that we can do to curb gun violence. One of the things that we do is to make sure that people who commit violent, uh, violent crimes do not get back out in the street and, and in that case, increase the penalties around gun violence so that uh, we do not put these uh, criminals back in to the streets. The other thing, though, is when you have people who commit gun violence, you have to have the opportunity for them to then change their ways as well. So I'm not just about uh, passing laws to to put people in jail, much like our um, our uh, prosecutors uh, have stated. I'm about making sure that people are able to uh, reform themselves and be helpful in the community. So um, I know there's a lot of work that we can do around that to help Marion County in this matter. But like I said, what I want to impress upon you is that I am about you all. I'm not about uh, necessarily a party thing. I am a Republican for a reason. It has to do with my fiscal responsibility. But I want to be practical in terms of what I represent in the community around things like guns, around things like abortion, uh, around things like education. So 
I want to go on record as, as saying that I am for you all. I've, I've lived, I actually lived in Pike Township for uh, 10 years. So I am part of this community. I lived here on 56 in Lafayette for, uh, for eight years. Um, my wife and I moved out of there because two houses down from us, a guy was murdered to death. So we thought that this is not a safe community, safe neighborhood for us. So uh, unfortunately, although we love that area and we loved, uh, thought about raising our family in that area, we had to move out because we felt it was unsafe. I want to make it safe for you. Um, thank you, whoever, uh, whoever question that was. Um, let me first by saying, start by saying that this issue is one of the top three issues that I hear most from constituents. We need to repeal that permitless carry law that we passed in the 2022 session. You don't have to guess where I would stand or how I would vote on that issue. I did vote against that particular piece of legislation. I voted against that bill and stood with law enforcement who told the legislature to please not pass this law. In fact, our state superintendent of police, Doug Carter, chastised the supermajority for not listening to frontline officers. But the supermajority has a bad habit of knowing what they know best and didn't listen to their frontline professionals and jammed it through anyways. And it's why law enforcement is now standing with me as the state FOP has endorsed my candidacy. And also the firefighters have also endorsed my candidacy as well. And I think it says a lot that our first responders trust me to continue serving them in the state Senate. I've authored safe storage legislation asking gun owners to lock up their weapons. I believe we should require gun owners to report their guns if lost or stolen. We need to raise the gun age from 18 to 21. The Uvalde shooter waited until his 18th birthday to get that weapon. We need to strengthen our red flag laws. We need to strengthen our, and do background checks on all sales. And I've co-authored legislation that allows police departments to share gun intelligence so Zionsville can share information with Indianapolis and vice versa. People are terrified to go to the movie theater, to school, to go shopping, to a nightclub, a place of worship, all because of gun violence. And we don't have to live like this. And we know this issue is knocking on our door with the FedEx facility and the Noblesville West. These are uh, scenarios uh, that have rocked our community. And with these smart, sensible gun reform measures, I have earned the Moms Demand Action Gun Sense candidate distinction. In this highly charged political issue, I'll continue to bring common sense and a level head to this conversation. Thank you. Um, I have a question for Angela. Uh, your thoughts on the war in, uh, in the Ukraine right now? Someone else asked the question. I was interested. Okay. Sorry, Angela. As a candidate for Congress and also a former Ukrainian citizen, what are your thoughts on the situation in Ukraine and do you support the war efforts there? <laughs> What are my thoughts? My thoughts are that this war should have never started. If we had a stronger leadership in the White House, it wouldn't have started. My thoughts are that once it started, it should have finished as soon as possible.
Joe Biden doesn't want this war to finish. He's against any negotiations. He wants to win the war. And as far as I'm concerned, in the 21st century, if there is a war, we're not going to have any winners and losers. We're only going to have losers. Even though it's a country where I was born, I would not be like Andre Carson voting to give them over $80 billion worth of help without any accountability. While there are children in the Marion County that go to bed hungry. Just last month, our food stamp requests went up 12.5%. How can I vote to help somebody else when our own people need help right now in this current economic situation? I was interviewed by the Ukrainian Society um, just two days ago. They're located in Washington. They wanted to send their troops here <laughs> to interview me in person. We did it via Zoom. And I answered that question absolutely the same way. The war has to stop. There will not be any winners in this war. I want to uh, recognize a couple other folks just uh, in the room. Uh, Robin Shackelford, State Representative, and uh, Chair Pryor, State Representative as well. Uh, quick question uh, for judges. Obviously, once again, judges can't say how they would uh, rule in the case or, or matter before them. Uh, could you describe for a few seconds, uh, and Judge V, we'll start with you, what is your judicial philosophy, and what can someone expect when they come before you uh, in a courtroom? Well, as I already indicated previously, having been an attorney for 10 years or more, I understand that it's very important for everybody to be heard. It's very important that regardless of who you are, that you will have a voice in court and that the law is applied fairly across the board. So that is my judicial philosophy, that I am going to be fair and impartial, and that you're going to get the same treatment across the board, and that the law will be applied fairly. And that's all you can ask for me, and that's all I'm going to be giving. Um, I am bound by the code of judicial conduct that requires us to be fair and impartial, to listen to the evidence that's presented, to apply the rule of law, and render a decision based on that. Thank you. I also um, believe in applying the law. Prior to becoming the circuit court judge, I was a prosecutor for eight years. So I know what it's like to be an attorney. I know what it's like to stay up all weekend prepping for cases and they get continued at the last minute. So um, not only should we apply the law fair, we should listen to the evidence, but we also have to take attorneys into an account. They're our clients. Um, sometimes they go through things and they might need an extension on a case. Um, I think it's important that we work with people and listen to them, whether they have representation or not. Um, I, when I was a magistrate and circuit court judge, um, I gave everybody, especially self-represented litigants, that they needed three hearings to figure something out. They got their three hearings. So I believe that the law should be applied equally um, and that we should make sure that people that can't afford attorneys um, have someone that is patient and can help them along the way because they're entitled to their day in court as well.
This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.